Welcome to Free Burn. This is Matt Ballard, your host. This is the podcast where we talk all things mental and behavioral health in the first responder community. Real life firefighters, police officers, EMTs and paramedics, clinicians, and doctors. It's time we have the real conversation and burn the stigma behind first responder mental health, one podcast at a time. And welcome back to Free Burn 2023, folks. This is Matt Ballard, and I am your host. Uh, today, we have a special guest on, uh, Egan De Los Cobos. Did I say that right? That's a mouthful. Yes, sir. Really. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's 42 First years time. old. Yeah, 42 years <laughs> old. Uh, started his fire service career at age 18 as a paid-on-call fire, fireman, worked private EMS. He is actively er, in Santa Barbara County, correct? Yes. Santa Barbara County Fire Department for over 16 years. Uh, active on his peer support team and critical incident stress management response through his department. He is also a certified health coach. Um, he's passionate in helping others navigate stress, injuries, and physical health problems. Well, I want to get into more of that here in a bit, brother, and let you share some of that stuff. It's very interesting to me how you've connected some dots there in your personal life. So. Welcome, brother. Is there anything else that I missed that you want to add in? No, just super, super pumped to be here. And um, this stuff gets me up in the morning and keeps me going. And, and just like yourself, far into the career. And this is kind of the stuff that's um, it's going to help me see the finish line. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, no, just super pumped to be here and be part of it. So, thank you. Yeah, you bet, man. I'm, I'm, we got in contact through Instagram right went through Freeburn, and mm-hmm. i think you you started following us i started following y'all or how, vice versa however however it was and then it just transpired into this i thought man i need to see if that guy wants to come on the podcast and share his his story very interesting so tell us a little bit about uh santa barbara county what's that fire department like there uh santa barbara county so we're um kind of the central coast of california area mm-hmm. it's a smaller department um however we're the largest in the county because we're the entire encompassing the whole county so we're 16 stations um wow. not ter- yeah and so in i her call volumes around um 20 something thousand roughly a year so it's not terribly busy we have busier stations than others but we're more of a rural department so we have um um like kind of in our north northern county um it's not it's not uncommon for us to have the next engine either be anywhere from 10 minutes 15 minutes all the way up to an hour um oh, wow. so we're, we're so um and one station's an outlier yeah the next closest engine is um a neighboring agency that's 30 minutes away and then the next engine from our department's about an hour away so that's kind of the dynamics we have in our department um, so some, and then on our Southern County, we're kind of like a municipal department. We have, uh, mm-hmm. lots of stations. It's tight, tightly, um, populated. That's kind of Santa Barbara, Goleta area. And so we have a different dynamic in the County and we're an all risk agency. So we, and have paramedics on every engine. And so right. we do everything from structural response, vehicle accidents, all of our engines carry, um, jaws and everything. So we don't have designated trucks or anything. So we kind of do it all. Um, yep. and we got water rescue, we got bulldozers. We do, we're a big wildland component. We're actually, mm-hmm. um, contracted with the state of California. Um, and we're treated kind of like one of their own Cal fire units too. So we do a lot of uh, wildland urban interface. We have lots of type threes, um, helicopter program. So we run lots of different things for our, our County as well as in the state. Yeah. Very interesting. How it kind of changes. I mean, I'm sure there's parts of Texas that have some of that, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of differences between, you know, fire departments in California. A lot of the same stuff, but a lot of differences too. But very interesting to, mm-hmm. to hear about that. Um, so, yeah, man, that's cool. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, your journey, man. You know, kind of how it started and where you're at today. Just go through your story and then, you know, share that with us if you're willing to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you mentioned, I started in the fire service at 18 years old. I was, um, it's funny cause I never really thought I was going to be a firefighter. Um, my dad was, um, a reserve police officer growing up and I was always interested in that. Um, but as my teenage years came, I didn't really think much of, uh, any kind of career personally. I was just kind of having right. fun. I like to surf. Um, and then I, 
graduated high school and I'm like, I just want to make a bunch of money. So I'm like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to learn how to be in business. So I did one semester city college and I said, I, I hate this and I can't do this anymore. So I got to get right. outside and do something else. Um, and so I um, actually, my, I have two uncles. Um, the one uncle I hit up, he, I knew he was a firefighter for a long time. He was LA city fire and a long time in his career. And I asked him, I'm like, Hey, what, what's like a firefighter all about? And so he kind of explained to me kind of the path. And I'm like, well, that sounds interesting to me. I can be outside and I know it makes, you can make a decent living on it. So I'm going to try it. So fell in love with that, did EMT class, got hired as a paid call firefighter at 18 years old. So I started really young um, and um, did the academy, did all that stuff. And then I was in paramedic school by 19, 20 years old. And then was mm -hmm. on the ambulance, private ambulance, as well as a paid call firefighter at 21 years old. So I did all of that whole gamut. Um, and throughout my entire life, health-wise, I had been, um, I had real, no real health issues whatsoever. I had um, just some seasonal allergies. So all throughout my kind of early on career, um, I, I was a very healthy person. So then I got hired in Santa Barbara County Fire at uh, 26 years old and was on the department for about, um, so about seven, eight years um, mm -hmm. before kind of things changed for me drastically. Um, and so, so I was about 32 was, it was October. So October of 2013. Um, so nearly 10 years ago, my son, who was three years old at the time, we were sitting, um, in front of a coffee shop and the way the parking lot comes in, there's cars that kind of do a horseshoe kind of facing the coffee shop and loop around. And my son and always would always go and sit in this um, kind of gazebo area right in front, right near the parking lot. And there was a day like any other, we were sitting inside this gazebo, having our, my coffee. My son had his croissant, kind of our daily routine. And mm -hmm. um, we were enclosed in this gazebo and a car starts coming into the parking lot. And I could hear it kind of like screeching, like hauling butt for whatever reason. But I couldn't see anything. So all I do is he I can hear this thing. And all I hear is somebody um, like accelerate super loud. Um and then crash right through us so i i just heard this i didn't see anything so yeah. anyways crashed a car came in from the highway came in the parking lot way too fast crashed and then went right through us and then back near the highway um so i got thrown one way my son got thrown the other and so once i got up there's just debris in a car and i can't find my son and in that moment mm -hmm. i'm thinking every parent's worst nightmare had just occurred sure that my son was killed. I can't find him. Um, so I start digging through debris um, and I picked up a bush. I remember, and then my son's lying face down, not moving partially underneath the vehicle. I reach down and I pick him up. And in that moment, I'm thinking the worst things happen. He's not moving. I pick him up. He starts crying right away instantly. Um, and so a big kind of relief came over me that a bit. It, just like we know in the first responder world, a crying kid's a good thing. That means they're breathing, yes. right? So yes, I picked him is. up. He's crying hysterically. I'm okay with it. Um, and I remember um, the driver was an elderly driver was getting out of the vehicle while I'm holding my son and, and feeling um, pure rage and anger that this mm -hmm. lady just went right through us. And in a moment in time, I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, my number one priority is take care of my son. Um, sure. So I stood up. My legs were were burning so bad. It was like excruciating pain. I thought they were broken, but I didn't have time to look to see. So I just started walking and hoping my legs weren't broken enough to get away from the vehicle. So I started walking. They weren't broken. So I was able to get over and sit down on the curb. And I just held my son and he's crying hysterically. And mm. the weirdest thing happens is is because we're always on one side of it. We're responding to the call. Um, we're thinking about things when you're in that moment. Um, it, it, there's no first responder in you whatsoever mm -hmm. in that kind yeah. of moment, especially with your family. That was the kind of the weirdest feeling. So I'm holding my son. I remember kind of, I think maybe police officer showed up and then fire engine and obviously guys that I work with, including the captain of the day was actually at my own station. He was working overtime at that station that day. Um, came up to me and he's looking at me and he's like, you're like, and he thought I was just there to help. He didn't realize it was me at first. Mm, and yeah. then I was basically staring blankly at him and just kind of nodded my head. And he knew right away that um, it was us. So it was weird because I had people coming up to me, but I, I couldn't get words out. And that was kind of the weirdest thing for me.
um, to not be able to basically say anything. And that's when that, you know, psychological shock that we can see on people, that was me. Right. And it was um, obviously the scariest thing ever. So I was able, I remember going, so going to the back of the ambulance um, and then I remember the, uh, the EMT on the paramedic on the ambulance or the EMT was like, Oh, we're going to put your kid in a pediatric board. I'm like the hell you will. Um, he's <laughs> staying right here and he's yep, moving. I don't care. Nowhere. So, yep. No, sorry. So put me on the gurney. So long story short, we got transported down to the trauma center because they weren't sure what kind of injuries we had, which is about 35 minutes away. Um, and pure miracle, um, we were released later that day. Um, I had just bumps and bruises all over my legs, um, some scratches, very minor injuries. Same with my son. He had a big, he had a goose egg on his head. So they did a CT scan um, and bruises all over his body. But no, he was, he was fine. So we were literally released within probably four or five hours of the accident pure miracle um and so that was kind of and i've always been a person who's looked at the bright side of everything like like things happen for a reason um and i literally remember like even going to the gym later that day just to clear try to clear my head about everything and like i'm okay um and so i'm like i'm a positive person we're good there's there's no physical injuries so i should be fine um so fast forward a little it was within, I think it was two to three weeks after the accident. Um, I noticed that two, my middle toes on both of my feet were swollen. They were almost the size of my um, big toe. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And so I'm like, well, maybe they got broken in the accident and I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went, um, <clears throat> went, got an x-ray and they're like, no, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken. I'm like, oh, that, well, that's weird. But that, event within a few weeks after the accident was kind of the start of my health decline. And that was the first inkling that I had of the autoimmune disease that was triggered by that accident. So that's, we'll get into the physical part of that soon. But so like the mental health side of it, I knew it was a a significant accident and I was concerned about my son Mm -hmm. because just, it was very traumatic for him. And so I remember I made an appointment to go see a therapist for him. Um, went into the therapist's office and he explained to me that kids are, are very resilient, especially at that age. And depending on what was going on, like he'll probably, he's going to be just fine. Um, and then he said, uh, I'm concerned about you. And I'm like, why me? Because I'm like, I'm fine. We lived, I mean, we lived through a miracle. I'm not hurt or anything. Like I'm good. Like I got a good attitude about this Mm -hmm. and um so what he did and then so he said that and then he said um i want you to do an exercise for me when we come back and i want you to write a letter to your son as if he had died Mm. and that sent me like pissed off like whether it was (laughs) it just it just pissed me off sure i walked out of the office and just thought to myself what the hell does this guy think he's doing like he's yeah. alive. Why should I focus on that? Like, and, um, and then looking back, I can kind of see where it was going, but long story short, it pissed me off. I didn't want to go back to that therapist. It wasn't for me. I walked out of the door and never went back. Yeah. Um, so that was my only appointment that I did for my son initially, um, back then. So fast forward. Mm-hmm. So my start having physical health symptoms. So the first symptom was my toes. They were swollen. Like I said, the big, the size of my big toes, um, and then plantar fasciitis, um, started kicking in. I started having foot pain. Um, and that was pretty much the whole first year after my accident, just, just gnarly, gnarly plantar fasciitis. So I went through all That's these crazy. different shoes, insoles, yeah. and I'm like, what's going on? Um, it felt like I was walking on like steak knives. It was that stabbing pain, you know, how a lot of guys understand how plantar fasciitis feels. So I started having those symptoms. So that was for an entire year. And then after that year started my hip pain. So I started having a really, really gnarly hip pain. Um, and it would literally almost give out. Like it would, you'd feel like you're walking um, normal. And then all of a sudden, like somebody just kicked your legs out from anything. And I would almost fall over. And it got so bad that I went to UCLA, I think three mm-hmm. different times and was a, almost going to have surgery on it too. Um, because it, it was um, just the gap was in there was so narrow that they didn't really see another any choice so, so what were they, what was, were the doctors telling you 
Okay. Yeah, we're going to get into that one. Okay. So, okay. Um, so along with so plantar fasciitis, hip pain, and then after, I remember it was after about a year, started my skin, which is psoriasis. Um, mm-hmm. And so it started with, um, I just thought I had dandruff. So my skin started flaking. It was starting to get itchy. I just thought I had dandruff. So I started going down that road, dandruff shampoo. Um, and then I, st- I started getting it in like my, my, uh, my groin area and other areas too. Like I'm like, yeah. what is going on with my skin? And so mainly my head and stuff in my scalp. But so I tried different things. So, so these symptoms started happening. I went to, so the skin I went to, I remember going to like my primary, well, first my joint pain. So my, so once my hip pain started getting worse, that's when I got doctors involved. That's how I ended up in UCLA. But I went to like my primary care and they're like, well, maybe, you know, you just got some, some, some like uh, pain or issue. So we'll send you a chiropractor. So the chiropractor saw me and he's like, well, I think something's wrong. Um, so let's send you to um, an orthopedist. So I went to the orthopedist and, and he does the MRI and all that stuff. And then they're like, that's when I got sent to UCLA. So the whole time they're telling me, it's osteoarthritis, which is just normal aging arthritis. Not right. And I and even though I have a family history, including my brother, um, who has autoimmune, I kept saying, "Hey, along, I think I have psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid, or one of those things." Because on this day, <laughs> things drastically changed for me. Before this, I had never had these issues, so I don't think it's like a pro, like a an aging thing. Um, it seemed that like day was the day of the out. accident, right? Yeah, like it's like a line in the sand that things changed. Mm-hmm. It was, yep. and so that was what kind of kept me on this thing of trying to t- explain to the doctors, and they kept dismissing me osteoarthritis. And then I'd see my dermatologist for my skin, and they were saying it's just seborrheic dermatitis, which is just a, a generic term for inflammation of the skin. Um, right. So I kept getting all these misdiagnoses, for lack of a better term, along the way. So I ended up seeing. Um, so I went to UCLA, they're about to, um, do hip surgery on me. So, um, let me back up real quick. So, so let's see, it was a plantar fasciitis, hip pain, skin issues. This all went on for greater than three plus years. Um, and we're talking as debilitating as me not being able to pick up my son, me calling yeah. in sick for days on end because I can't, I can't physically like walk down the street. Um, my hip would just give out and I'm like, I don't want to be on a fire and all of a sudden my hip give out or when, sure. when I needed to help somebody, um, or one of my brothers or sisters and I can't do it. Like, no, yeah. that's not fair to them or anything. And so there's a lot of the um, mental part of that. That's on top of the physical. So you're Absolutely. so physically shot and hurt that, and then you've got the mental thing of thinking about, Oh, am I done? Can I not be a firefighter anymore? Can I not? be there to help the citizens can i not be there to help my f- fellow firefighters mm-hmm. um what am i going to do for work like there's so many things that are running through your head when you're physically shot and then the mental aspect is a whole nother ball of wax so i know exactly um, what you're talking and, about there and not to mention the whole stigma with it too so we're talking about it's it's funny to talk about timelines too because here we are 2023 talking about mental health and britain changing the stigma and this was only nine years ago and i know in like other departments just a couple of years ago there you don't talk about this stuff at all and so mm-hmm. back then it's not saying that our department wouldn't embrace it but it definitely was not a thing so i was not sharing anything about my physical health my mental health um or any of that kind of stuff at all i was scared because i didn't know the repercussions if i said i can't work or mentally sure. like um if i have post-traumatic stress stress um, what are they going to think of me? What is my captain going to think of me? So there's so many things going in through my head. So, but I knew my number one thing was I have to get my physical health kind of to where I wanted. So that the physical aspect, um, was that my hip pain was like, it just reached a point to where I, that's why I ended up at UCLA. And then they mm-hmm. told me about the surgery they wanted to do. The surgery entails them putting my leg in, in traction cutting me open at the hip, going in and grinding down my femur head and then putting uh-uh. it back together. And the, I, I just was like, okay, is that really what I want to do right now? Is I, I know these doctors keep saying um, that it's just arthritis, but I, I don't, I feel in my gut that something's wrong on this day. 
something was um, changed drastically for me. My health's been in decline ever since. How, um, old, were and then, how old were you at the time? 38? I was 34. 34. So, yeah, this is a couple hip, years. Hip pain. Yeah. Surgery. And so wow. my physical health problems were going on for solid three years for nothing yeah. with no real answers. I was just going to one doctor to the next and um, kind of accepting what they had to tell me, but it just didn't feel right in my gut of what in, and I told every last one of them, Hey, could this accident be related to something physically? And no one said yes. <laughs> um, yeah. and so, but I just felt once I hit that wall at UCLA, that that's the surgery. And I'm like, is this what my life's come to, to have this surgery? That's not going to really fix anything. It's just going to prolong, um, postpone until I get a hip replacement. I'm like, is that where I'm at at 34 years old? And I'm like, right. I just don't feel right about it. So I kind of went back to the drawing board and I'm like, I need to tear into, cause I feel in my gut that something happened to me on this day. So I'm like, there's a traumatic event. Maybe it's, maybe it's stress. Cause I feel like that's something that's part of it. I had no clue about mental health and it, like in the elements yeah. of anything that I had learned. So I just kind of tore into things. I tore into immune health, gut health, um, and then how much the mind body brain connection um, sure. attributes to things. So, and I, I'm like in, um, and so that was my physical aspect. So when it comes to my mental health, um, I, people would, would always say, Oh, like nightmares and stuff that with PTSD and that can be for some, I just didn't sleep. I wouldn't fall asleep. I thought it was normal to just worry about my kids and everything else from like nine o'clock till like two in the morning. And then sure. sleep. So I'm like, well, I slept good for four hours, not knowing that that's a big problem. And yes, so I thought that was just normal um, to worry about things in life. And then, um, and then things started. Um, I started noticing symptoms. I one time my son, he was um, so he's still about four at the time. He was sitting up on a kind of a, a higher chair. We had this coffee table, and he fell off of it, maybe a couple feet. He's mm -hmm. most likely fine. But he fell and he started crying and I reacted um, like I thought he was dying in front of me. Like it was sure. this most physiological, overwhelming feeling that, mm -hmm. oh, my God, I'm going to lose my son. And I picked him up and I, even I recognized that it was kind of a overreaction. That sure. was, but it was weird. It was overpowering and I, and I couldn't help myself. Um, and so I noticed that was kind of weird. And then <clears throat> my temper. I started noticing getting super, super angry, but overcoming anger. And mm -hmm. I'm not that person. I'm the, one of the most mellowest people ever. And just the littlest things would send me to the, through the roof. And I wanted to punch a wall. Like it was crazy. Right. The amount of like anger that was pent up. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? And it, that all that finally came to a head one time. I literally was, um, my, she was my fiance at the time. Like I, something happened stupid and I literally threw a glass that hit, hit a wall and I, mm -hmm. and I started crying right away. And I'm like, that's, that's it. We're done here. I am. That is not me. That just happened. It wasn't at her or anything like that. It was just anger that I expressed for whatever reason. Sure. And I'm like, that's got to, I scared the crap out of myself. And I'm like, yeah. this is done. And so I'm like, I got to figure out what's going on. So, uh, I already, um, so I made an appointment with a local therapist that I knew and explained to her, Hey, I'm like, this is, I had an accident here. Um, and these are kind of my symptoms. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. And she's like, uh, you have PTSD. I'm like, what? <laughs> so PTSD, I said, isn't that for like, um, veterans and people who have sure. been in war and seen maimed bodies, like their own brothers die. Um, and she's like, yes, she's all, but what you went through and what you're explaining to me is PTSD. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I didn't feel like there, that didn't, wasn't to any level to what a military vet and right. what, what oh, those overseas, um, go through. So I, I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't think that was a proper diagnosis for me. I had, I, I just didn't have the clue. So right. she explained to me that, um, that she can help. And there's something what's called EMDR um, that she wants to do and walk me through. And so that's what I did. And um, to and so EMDR, like as you know, it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And yes. for lack of a better term, it's kind of voodoo. <laughs> like um, witchcraft, it's just, man. 
Um, exactly. I, I, that's exactly how I, I, it's hard to explain, it's Weird, but uh, very weird, but it, it helped. It helped tremendously. And that was kind of um, the pivotal like turning point for me to begin my healing journey and to kind of push me to where I am now. So what EMDR did, um, just to explain for me what it did. So basically what you, when you, when you go through a traumatic event, your brain forms or processes it in a certain way. And when it's not fully developed, that's when the nightmares, that's when stress comes involved and it affects yep. your health and all these other things because your brain's constantly trying to process this trauma that you didn't process to begin with. And it's not mm -hmm. your fault. It's how your brain visualizes it and it's trying to do its job, but sometimes it's just not doing it in the most effective way. So yeah. you kind of walk through the trauma, but in a very safe way. Um, yes. So it's not like you're reliving it per se and it's taking it down that notch. And it was weird because I had um, I had I had an image in my head when I went through um, the event. Mm -hmm. I was reliving in my brain of basically seeing my son dead. That's yep. that was the image in my head that I was constantly reliving. Sure. And what EMDR did was help me basically reframe that. Now, when I think of the accident. All I do is picture my three-year-old son tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, dad, I'm here. I'm here. I'm good. I'm good. And that's kind of the best way I can explain what EMDR did for me. Yeah. Reframe yep. the bad shit and put it into a better memory to help process that and mm -hmm. make you move on. It doesn't um, make you – you don't forget traumatic events. No. You just don't. Um, and that's okay. We're not we're, – yeah. we're supposed to um, – we're normal. We're human. And that's – that's no, normal for us. We just need to be able to get on the other side of that and process yep. it in the right and healthy way. Um, 100%. So the EMDR was invaluable and that was the tipping point for me to get my health back in line. So yeah, that, that dumped me forward into really tearing into um, like gut health, immune health, what, what are the triggers for autoimmune disease, um, and then as simple as, you know, your diet and exercise, stress reduction stuff. Um, so I really started tearing into that and really hyper-focused on that, got into su different supplementation. Um, and that was kind of the, the, obviously the tipping point to really drive my health forward. So I'm start to finish. So after the EMDR, getting into there and really focusing on what I needed to do to heal myself. Um, obviously it was a lot of trial and error cause there wasn't as sure. much like I could think of out there back then, but, um, it took me, uh, about six months of really focused effort. Um, and I noticed my skin starting to get better without steroids, without any kind of medication. And that mm -hmm. was something for me that obviously I, as a paramedic, um, we're, we're practicing Western medicine and medications are, are fantastic in regards, but for me, my own personal journey, I didn't feel the risk versus gain to go on the medications that they wanted me, they, they right. recommended for me. A lot of them for autoimmune are um, used for cancer patients, um, mm. as well as some of them can actually lead to other things. But, but it depends because medications can help you take that edge off to be able sure. to start your health journey. Because if you're at such a low point, of course, try everything you can to get yeah. you out to be able to push your health forward. So I'm mm -hmm. not anti-medication at all. It's just whatever somebody feels is what's right for them sure. and depending on where we're at. So I just yep. never felt like I needed to get the point. But guess what I did do? I took ibuprofen like crazy um, to get me out right. of bed sometimes. I took NyQuil to help me sleep, which isn't healthy mm -hmm. at all. I took NyQuil yep. the night before I got, I got married because I couldn't sleep. Right. Like that was the biggest thing. Like it was like... Yeah, it's, that was bad, um, but you, it's just it's just coping mechanisms that you do. Sure. Um, and so that so after going through all that journey, I started piecing things together of what kind of worked for me. Um, so six months started noticing some healing um, in my skin, which takes like the longest I feel. And then um, just those tweaking those things and understanding what diet changes, hydration and stuff has to do with my joints and. Um, and then for me, so my biggest number, my number one triggers are 
um, lack of sleep and stress are kind of my big triggers when it comes to things in um, everyone's different. So my diet right. was always decent, um, decent enough, but those are kind of my big things. So, and then within a year of really focused effort, I was back to running and now I run half marathons. I, I wow. just went for a four mile run yesterday in hundred degree heat. Like I liked doing that. It's like, but almost, you know, <clears throat> about eight, nine years ago, I couldn't, I could barely walk down the street. So, yeah. uh, I've come a long way, um, with everything and it's just, and then, so throughout my whole healing journey, I started, uh, being not embarrassed about it. Like just trying to share, like people would ask, like, like if they saw something with my skin or like saw my journey on social media that, and say, Hey, like I've been dealing with this too. I'm like, what? Like, Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were, you know, like physical stud and like you had no issues sure. and people start coming out and they're like, Oh, I struggle with it. I'm like, what really? So I started just, and then people ask for like, like what I'm doing. So I'm like, I'll share what I'm doing. And then the more I started talking with people and engaging in helping people with their own journey. I'm like, I actually like this. This is real similar to what I do in the fire service. Yes. But on a more personal level, um, mm -hmm. in the fire service, we're there, we show up, we help somebody try to make a difference in, you know, 20, 30 minutes, depending on what the, the call is. Um, right. and then we put them off to the hospital or, or, or do whatever. And now like, I feel like I can have such an impact on somebody's own personal life through health coaching. So I started yep. to like figuring out like, what can I do with this? So and I'm like, I'm going to, I think health coaching. So I looked into what health coaching is and I'm like, I really like that. It's just talking to people, helping with their journey, sharing what I did. And hopefully it's going to work for them too, but helping them navigate what it is. And so I, I went and became a certified health coach through the national society of health coaches, which is kind of geared towards, um, Western medicine trained people, doctors, nurses, PAs, chiropractors, et cetera. Um, right. and then it's, it's based within basically, uh, for motivational interviewing is kind of the premise behind that. And mm -hmm. that's been used obviously for drug substance abuse kind of, uh, counseling. And then right. they've, um, basically moved that over into health and they've noticed just a spectacular results. So it's kind of on that premise, but, um, awesome, and I really love that because it's, I get to form a partnership with somebody. Um, there's a lot of similarities. The more I talk to people when it comes to their journey, whether it's with doctors, whether it's dealing with different medications, stress is such a huge yep. thing. It's, it's incredible to talk to people that haven't, um, it's so easy for me to talk to people and kind of see the writing on the wall of their journey. Um, mm -hmm. but in, but I remember being in that same thing, like, Oh, I'm good. Like that was a bad event. Sure. But, I've moved on, but it's like, you, but guess what? Your, your brain has not, and it has not yep. processed that stuff. And, um, there's a fantastic book, um, too, by, um, Bessel van der Kolk. It's called the body, uh, keeps the score. And it's fantastic I've book when it book. comes I need to, to read it. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's amazing to see the manifestations in your physical body of your mind. And, yep. um, a big thing for me that I learned along the way too, is that the, the, mind and the body they're it's they're connected completely physically connected so um there's there's no mental health versus physical health it's all in one mental health is physical health physical health mm -hmm. is mental health and on a physiological and biological level it is so um right. that's something that i um that has been forefront for me moving forward so i've been health coaching now for um the last couple of years two years 2021 um, mm -hmm. doing kind of doing that. And I only take a handful of clients every month because I want to give the most to my clients and, um, sure. and not, and, and I'm not here just to make a quick buck or anything. It's, it's to get people to where they, they need to go, um, to push yeah. their health forward. And, sure. and I just truly enjoy it. And the whole mental health aspect is huge when it comes to the first responder community and people mm -hmm. like yourself bringing that yep. to the forefront is is huge um and a cultural shift so along my journey there was a, a cultural shift in my department as well so when i started my journey like i said there was a stress um the component of my stress injury that i sustained like i didn't talk about obviously it's very embarrassed about and yeah so I, I i started going through my journey and then these classes started popping up about um, like SISM, I see through ICISF 
and um, the, uh, the idea of a peer support program. So, and that was back in, well, I think 2016 is when I took my first class and I was still in my kind of journey. I just done EMDR and right. um, was mm-hmm. still there and I started taking those classes, but uh, kind of like yourself, there was, there was no, um, there wasn't anything really out there yet. Um, it, we, there was a couple of us on the department that were kind of like, Hey, I think this could be something. And we got, basically saying, Oh, thanks, but no, thanks. We don't have money for that. (laughs) It's what a lot part of it started happening. Um, and then, um, culturally, we had a shift in in our County, um, in 2018. So we had the January, um, debris flow Montecito that went through Montecito and, Mm -hmm. um, actually a huge tragedy in that community. But what happened, after that was something that never happened before. We had basically a, um, uh, a, a CMB after that, just kind of, it's not really a debriefing, but basically all the, all the engines, everyone on the duty, on duty and off duty came and met. And we talked about mental health. We talked yep. about the impacts of a, of a stressful event, what it could look I've like. I've been through ICI, and, ISF, so I know, I know what you're talking about. Great. Exactly. And so that was the first time that they got everybody in the same area under the same tent and said, Hey, we're done dealing with this. This was a a tragic thing and Mm -hmm. things are going to look different from now on, which was awesome. So, but obviously culturally, as you can, you can tell in the department, it wasn't as well received. I was stoked about it because I was going through my own journey and mm-hmm. the grumblings in the station were like, why would I need to do this? I wasn't part of it. I'm going to be exposed and all this stuff. And, and it was ironic because we always pride ourselves on being a team, looking out for our brother and sister. And sure. I remember questioning somebody about it, saying like, oh, why do And I'm like, what if this isn't about you? What if it's about somebody next to you who maybe needs help and they need this? And maybe you can learn something to help them. Amen, brother. They kind of looked at me and (laughs) thought to themselves, like, maybe you're right. And so that was a huge cultural shift in our area that kind of pushed peer support forward, which was in light of a tragic event, but it helped push us light years ahead. And so that Mm -hmm. was kind of the pivotal point when it started our peer support. Um, And so that's when we started getting a little bit of funding. It's not much, but we started getting our program going. Um, And now I've had been able to be a part of it for the last uh, three years now too. And so it's, it's great. It's growing legs. Um, and it's, and it's starting to be talked about in the station on a more accepted level by leaps and bounds within just the last COVID really accelerated things too, which was interesting. So Mm -hmm. that really, that our um, we have the, um, privilege of having a nonprofit that does tons of fundraising to allow our first responders in the county to attend free counseling sessions. So it's completely invaluable and it's 100% donation based. So we have this wonderful resource at our disposal for our members. All they have if to do wanna, is call. If you <laughs> want to mention that name, you absolutely, absolutely. Sure can. Yeah, no, 1805 um, is um, our nonprofit in the county, mm-hmm. 1805SB, I believe, on Instagram. And it's 100% nonprofit, and they support our first responders on so many levels. It's amazing. Check and them so out, folks. We're super thankful. Um, and so, th- and it's just huge to have that resource because that's such a huge stumbling block for so many programs and peer support to not have that follow up. We can do. It's it's uh, peer support is kind of the crux of to be able to get that conversation, change that stigma, get to those trainings. Yes, but it is. We need to have that transition to a higher level. We're not counselors. We're not therapists. Um, mm-hmm. We're not trying to pretend we are. Um, and nope. so we're basically kind of that bridge to bridge that gap, to get people to the resources that they need to. And so 100%. it's been huge. Yep. So we've had um, changes in our County of how it's been funded. Um, but it's been, um, it's running very good right now and we're doing our best to support our members. And um, that's one thing that I've been passionate about too is, I feel like, um, so peer support's amazing. 
um, having 1805 in our therapy um, sessions available to our members is great. I just feel that was, there's a there's a gap, and I think that's where resilience kind of comes in, and that's kind of mm-hmm. been my focus is trying yep. to, like they say, the basically the easiest way to fight a fire is to prevent it in the first place, and sure. I think that's the best way to look at the mental health and physical health too. Firefighters yep. were naturally resilient anyways. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just who we are, type A personalities. Sure. We don't, we, we're the ones who give help. We don't want to be the ones that accept help, which is okay to a certain extent. Um, but we like to we like to solve problems. And by allowing to give our guys the tools that they can um, basically do self-care, figure out how mm-hmm. things um, work for them, I think is invaluable. Because I there was a lot of things that I could have done differently along the way um, that might have helped me accelerate my healing process in finding right. what I needed to do too. Yeah. So that's kind of where I've been focusing on. So I got um, instructor for like a stress first aid, which is kind of a federal program that was developed mm-hmm. by the national center of PTSD. Um, it was by the Navy. So they've been doing that along the way. Uh, so, and I've been ro- starting to roll that out for our department and I'm going to start to roll it out hopefully countywide too. It's just one another tool in the toolbox of things yep. and a framework of basically smashing that stigma, under, identifying things and identifying early signs and symptoms yes. of post-traumatic stress before those little fires turn into big fires because we always sure. want to put them out when we're small. Um, yep. And so that's kind of the goal when it comes to this stuff because that's, it that's affects. How free burn, that's how free burn okay. got kicked off. Yep, it's going. It was it was made. It wasn't even free burning at the time, but we, that's why we started doing what we were doing. Is going out and talking to fire departments, wherever you know, wherever they'd let us come in and speak on mental health awareness. We're there, and then it kind of is morphing into this podcast now. So very similar. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, great. I'd yep. love to love to hear that stuff too, because that's that's exactly what you're doing here. What we're doing. And just opening that door for that conversation is, mm-hmm. is, is literally a huge chunk of it. Um, I think the hardest part of this entire journey and the entire, um, just where I'm at today was accepting the fact that I needed help and asking mm-hmm. for it. That was yep. for whatever reason, there's lots of them out there, pride, um, stigma, um, um, fear of the unknown. Um, but once I kind of went over that point and said, this, this is out of my hands, I need help was the best decision yeah. I've ever made in understanding that, uh, what I, there's people out there that are trained that can help you. I promise sure. you. And if it's not the first person, it's the second or the third person too. And just like yep. I learned my first therapist was, he probably could have been the best therapists that are out there, like for somebody else, but guess what? It didn't align with me. And that's why I mm-hmm. walked out the door, but that was my first inkling. And I just wrote it off like, Oh, all therapists are this way. And that yeah. was a huge mistake that I made. And, um, I encourage anybody to like, if just because one appointment went bad, find somebody else, you'll find yeah. that person. And, and you'll it's know imperative. you find that person. You'll know it. Absolutely. And it's yeah. imperative. You find that one that you echoes with you. Cause that's where the difference is going to be made. Absolutely. Yep. Same for me, man. I mean, I, I've been through this twice. You probably heard this, my, my first podcast, my story, but you know, the first time I went through maybe four counseling sessions and it was just, it was what it was. Right. And then didn't really deal with the, the core issues at hand that I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Go through it the second time and go back, started doing EMDR therapy and it was life changing for me. Found the right counselor and it's, it changed my life. So Incredible. it can't happen. You got two mm-hmm. guys standing here Absolutely. that can show you that it can't happen. You know, 100%. So if there's somebody out there that's struggling with that, just know, don't give up. Get to the right people, get to the right resources and get help. Digging <laughs> story is awesome. So yeah, continue on brother. What else you got? Can't. Now you were just mentioning too about the resources out there and there's, there's more growing by the day and it's, it's really impressive to see. Um, sure. just like we connected to social media, 
Um, yep. It's funny how those algorithms work, right? This, you start liking <laughs> or whatever, and you start pushing the, all the connections together. It's pretty incredible too. So yeah, um, there's lots of things out there that are popping up day after day, which is, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, federal resources. Um, I think like SAMHSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Association, they have um, free training um, for mm-hmm. first responders online. Um, I think it was even part of my target solutions I had to do a little while ago, which was great. And was I was like, it? this is great. Let's keep, yeah, yeah let's keep this stuff going. Um, there's the International you know, Association yeah, so of Firefighters. They I have, have tons of resources, perfect. you know, training resources. And, and you, I remember you mentioned on your podcast too of their webinars. They got, I think, two to three webinars uh, every All month. And I'm, I'm like you, I'm popping on. So I'm going to look for your name next time I'm in there. In I'll the be chat. looking for you too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, it's, That's pretty it's cool. fantastic. Yeah, there's lots of information out there. Um, and there's growing lots of lots of resources too. California, we're um, pretty fortunate that we have a lot a lot of growing um, peer support teams. Um, we're starting yeah. to get inter- interconnected for even incident management teams. Um, mm-hmm. So same with the the feds and stuff. They have that's part of the red card now too is SISM on there, and so they're deploying for incidents. Really? Um, yeah, and so that's something that I'm I'm part of. Um, and our team is starting to go. So we'll, cause we'll go to neighboring agencies and be able to assist them too. So this yeah. network is slowly growing. Um, and it's kind of like the fire service in general too. It's, it's kind of a big thing, but it's, it gets mm-hmm. smaller. The more people you talk to, you're like, Oh, so-and-so I know someone who works there and yep. peer support's kind of work in the same way. And you can get connections with people and, and get you plugged in with different resources. Um, sure. so that's, that's growing on lots of levels too. We have um, out here too the uh, PSPSA, which is a peer support um, uh, public public safety peer peer support association too, and they're huge and pivotal and offer training and offer a con- uh, conference every year, and where mm-hmm. people come in from all over um, all over the country in San Diego every year too to network, get together, share resources. That's San Diego awesome, City uh, Police and Fire they're kind of one of the um, poster child for when it comes to mental health. Um, they have lots really? of programs uh-huh, that are um, pretty, pretty incredible, um, have how they treat those. Um, and their whole goal um, is to basically accept them right, treat right away and get them back to duty. It's not mm-hmm. trying to delay anything. There's no, there's some levels of depending on the level, there's nothing serious involved, but basically kind of no questions asked, ask time off back to duty. And that's the whole goal is to get them. Um, so the, the old school thought of like um, thinking that <clears throat> that uh, just because you're having post-traumatic stress, PTSD, that you're, you're it. Turn in your badge, yeah. your gun. Uh, um, that's no more it. of that. No more of that crap, right? So yeah. it's treating it. It's, um, so there's a, a, a kind of a cultural change. A lot of people don't. Um, here PTSD, but a lot of people are also embracing the word PTSI. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder versus PTSI, which is an injury. And that's exactly what it is. And Mm -hmm. so we're trying to change when we talk about stigma, that's one of those things too. Um, And because it is a physical injury that happens to your brain. So when we talk about the brain and what post-traumatic stress and PTSD is there's three main parts that encompass that. And it's your amygdala, your hippocampus, and your prefrontal cortex. So amygdala, yeah. <laughs> hippocampus are kind of your limbic system, right? Amygdala yep. is your alarm center. And that's it's great. You need it. It's there for your survival. But what happens is that little guy gets bigger every time. And the hippocampus, right. which try, tied to your memory, um, also shrinks. So that's why when you're stressed, you, you have trouble re- recalling things, remembering things. You kind of have mm-hmm. a brain fog. Um, yep. and, but what happens is there's amygdala. The more that starts to fire, um, you start being hyper-aroused. And in that kind of fight-or-flight state, they really mm-hmm. start talking and liking to be together. So it's harder to break that connection when you're in that state. And so in the prefrontal cortex, which is our human brain, allows us to have emotional regulation, um, make rash decisions, that thing starts to shut down, which is not a good thing. So now Mm -hmm. we have a hyper, um, like a a hyper aware, like fight or flight state and one that doesn't want to think correctly. So now we start opening up the doors to lots of things, Um, Mm -hmm. alcohol, alcohol, drug abuse, um, um, 
um, just all the other hosts, gambling, you, you, you name it. So there's name lots it. of different things. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we start um, having that um, breakdown in the communication in our brain. So in sure. short, and that's what EMDR can help to break that and to start yep. engaging that prefrontal cortex can do that too. And there's other ways that we can engage that prefrontal cortex too. And one of the fastest ways to do that is breathing. So mm-hmm. box breathing, um, I'm sure people have talked about too. So, yep. and there's in med- meditation, mindfulness, those kinds of things are all engaging to, so we have our sympathetic nervous system, right? That's paramedic. We remember this and then the oh, sympathetic yeah. and then the parasympathetic <laughs> and that's the balance. So sure we're it going is. back to, you know, the first week of paramedic school here yep. and when we're in that heightened state, we're drinking caffeine all day. We're going on runs all day. We're mm-hmm. maybe some people are having nicotine all day. Um, we're eating sugar. We're all this thing. That's all engaging the sympathetic nervous system. Oh, did I mention death and trauma and stress too? That's all over here, right? And so yep. within, but the parasympathetic is getting override, and that's when we start getting out of balance too. So you explain, to explain it to, way better than I do. Way better <laughs> than I do. So I'm glad you did that. And keep yeah. keep, keep keep going, brother. And no worries, man. So <laughs> I mean, that's been uh, that's that's and uh, when it comes to that um, imbalance that we have is yep. that's, what's tied to our physical health problems. So when we're in that or the sympathetic state, so our fight or flight state, we're mm-hmm. dumping what adrenaline we're dumping cortisol, which is our stress hormone. What does stress, what does yep. cortisol do? It starts increasing our cholesterol increases our heart rate. It starts dumping sugar into our system. So we start getting things like prediabetes, um, mm-hmm. and all that stuff starts tying down and what happens in that sympathetic state is we don't need to fight off a cold when we're running from a saber-toothed tiger, right? So what do we yep. do? We, we push down our immune system. And so that's mm-hmm. why your immune system gets suppressed. And then you stack, let's see, uh, not a very good sleep schedule on top of that. Um, and running run after run, you start going into one state and this other state starts plummeting. And that's when things mm-hmm. get off course. Post-traumatic stress injuries, immune health, diabetes, high cholesterol, all those things play a huge factor into our um, in a, into our physical health and mental health. But remember, they're related. So there's no I don't make a distinction between the two because you need one without the other. And yeah. so those are things just to kind of be aware of. It's kind of I, especially when it comes to autoimmune can make the same correlation. It's like, can we you know, we go drive down the road. We can put our car. We can drive down the road, you know, first, second gear fine right we can do that but do you want to drive down the freeway in second gear for a long period of time Mm -hmm. hell no you don't those rpms Mm -hmm. are going to be pegged and you're going to blow up your motor you're going to do the same thing with your health in your brain if you're not if you're constantly in that accelerated state so we have to balance that and just be cognizant of those things that are pegging us and things that bring us down because even if you had the most perfect diet you got sleep every day. Um, you did everything you you could possibly do. As a firefighter, first responder, we're still dealing with critical calls. We're still sure. de- we still have to juggle the family work life balance. I mean, that's yep. a struggle in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, raising kids, You're, we have all these things, and then in the emergency services world, we have even more critical incidents. So the average first responder. Um, sees 188 critical incidents in their course of their career. The average yeah. person sees two to three. So that puts we are, you know, a couple folks. hundred times more likely to develop these injuries. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, and that's just um, an average statistic. Some people could see quite a bit more. Um, sure. And so we're, so we need to be more cognizant of the average person when it comes to seeing that, uh, checking in with ourselves and, and having that balance yeah. of understanding that too. That's so where, obviously where resiliency it, comes in. Absolutely. 100% too. So yeah. <clears throat> awesome, brother. I mean, mm-hmm. I couldn't have said that any, any better. I can't explain it like you just did. So <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Um, great story, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you, you came on. I mean, that needed to be told and that needed to be heard. Just that whole, the whole thing. Right. You just explained 90% of the fire service and what we yeah. deal with yeah. in a scientific and, way, but not well, so scientific thank, way. 
Right. I tr- I know. I try. I I like that side of it, but I'm a very simple paramedic. I'm really bad with drug dosages, so I carry my syringes. I don't have to keep that, so I don't have to do a lot of math. Right. Um, so, but the the whole reason for that is like in, when I'm talking about this, this is I'm gonna be. It's going on ten years of my journey in October with all this yeah. stuff too. So it's been a long time coming. And so um, I I'm constantly learning. And I love this. I, I truly love this stuff and trying to yep. um, pass this on and what I've learned in doing trainings um, because I, I want more than anything to give the tools. If I have tools to give to somebody, I want them to have them to make their own decision so they, yep. they can avoid pitfalls that I make. Because I made lots of mistakes. I made, oh, we could be on here all day, talk about all the mistakes I've made in my life. But um, like we're talking about this one narrow window, I want somebody to say, hey, yeah, don't, don't avoid this. Look out for this. And here's some, here's some tools. So, yeah. and, and that's kind of the big driving factor for all this. And I'm you know, a little over halfway through my career. And this is something I want to pursue throughout the remainder of my career and maybe maybe beyond we'll see what things look like too but it's it's um obviously you know the statistics we look at them all the time of you know suicide versus sure um line of duty deaths so and that's always a big driving factor to me i just looked on it today and obviously yep. the stats are still skewed because it's not a mandated reporting yet things are changing um what do you get your what do you get your stats at <clears throat> so well there's a couple the one firefighter behavioral health alliance is kind of that's exactly where I was going. That's what Jeff I. Dill. That's where I get mine. Yep. Okay. Yep. And yeah, and so he's one who's actually verifying it too. There's other uh, resources out there, but and they're all there. Some of them are a little bit skewed, but um, until it becomes a mandated reporting, this yeah. is kind of what we have to deal with. But uh, the statistics are always on par, <clears throat> worth right around the same it. amount as line of duty deaths. And yep. that, that shouldn't happen. We, I mean, it Mm-mm. should it should be a mute point. It shouldn't be an issue at all. And on something Jeff else, Dill's I kinda, website, I think it says sixty percent accuracy, right on the reporting. Okay. And it's sixty percent. It's still it's still high, right? Still high. And that's exactly. that's that's the ones that we know about. So at one hundred percent, there's definitely an issue there that needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. So, and that's and why we're had, here today. Absolutely. And like, we can vouch for that reporting to some degree because we've had, um, we're, we've, we've lost other past firefighters in our own local area that mm-hmm. wouldn't be deemed suicide, but for all intents and purposes, we knew what was going on there. Um, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't reported at all. Um, yeah. and that's for us to, um, learn from we, and move forward. We know the numbers are higher. Yes, 100%. And um, that, and yeah, obviously, things like this um, podcast and just talking in the station is how we start to get out in front of everything. Um, yeah. And so, talking about that in a big a component that we talked about and why we're here too is, you know, st- the stress injury. And when you even factor in line of duty deaths um, on top of the suicides, if you look at that, Statistically, as of today, a third of them <clears throat> were heart attack, um, stroke, and other things that are correlated scientifically to stress. And so yeah. that's such a huge thing. So if you factor a third of all the line of duty deaths and all the suicides to stress, you're talking a vast majority are related to that mental stress that we yep. go through on lots of it all on so many levels. 100%. Yeah. It all correlates. So that's awesome, brother. Thank you for coming on. Uh, you got anything else before we start wrapping? I just want to say again, thanks so much for having me on today. Um, I, I look forward to listening to more of your podcast going forward. And um, it takes a lot of um, a lot of heart to do what you do. And and it's fear and it's, it's scary to some degree. Um, but you, I appreciate what you're doing, just throwing this out there and basically kind of saying, Hey, this is, we're done here. We need to talk. We need yeah, to enough change enough. this stigma. Um, there's resources out here and these are people that can, uh, can help. And we need to, we need to give our best to the, all the guys coming into our department as well. And those who want to retire healthy too, because that's a big yeah. part of it. We'd hate to work 33 years in our career and 
It's kind of like guys in our department getting ready to retire. They want to take care of their knees, their shoulders, their hips, whatever it is, have the surgeries, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. You don't want to leave unhealthy. We do the same thing for that mental health. You got to offload all that crap, deal with it so you can have that healthy retirement. Because I'd hate for CC somebody retire. They got that motor home and then they never leaves the driveway because they're stuck dealing with all of the stresses and stuff that they didn't do with along the career. Yeah, it's not just going to go away. It's not just going to leave. Yes, exactly. So we need to offload that. Uh, I've had the privilege of going to um, a local um, inpatient treatment center just as Mm -hmm. a guest, obviously, to look at the facility, which is phenomenal, um, and ask questions about kind of who who they see and they they're they almost always have some people that are actually in retirement dealing with things like the Oklahoma yeah. City bond 9-11 we're talking things that happened 30 40 years ago and mm-hmm. they haven't offloaded that and I don't in our retirement window even though sometimes firefighters can retire early it's still a very narrow window so don't work yes. for 33 years and think that ever you're gonna have these great 10 years in retirement mm-hmm. if you don't offload some of this stuff too sure. so you don't want to be a prisoner in your own mind of all the stuff that you didn't deal with along the way yep. so that, it's it's such a big deal so um just thank you so much for like having me and um and doing what you do because it, people like yourself um and myself that are just talking about this um openly and love it and really yep. want to make a change is how we're going to make these changes happen um, for everybody yep. going forward. Well, it's guys like you to motivate me, man. It's like, I want to hear from people like you that have been through those struggles and now are on the other side of it. Right. And what you did to get through those struggles, like I said, they're, they're not going to go away. We just learned to deal with them in better ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Stuff those things. You don't really even stuff them down. You just kind of put them in a file cabinet. They're there, but they're not gone. We just know how to deal with them in a in a better way now, so to speak, through resiliency, absolutely, and health and everything else. So, real quick, uh, your website. Well, so my website is uh, firstwellnesshealth.com. Um, and you can get a hold of there, get a hold of me there. Um, I also have links to social media there. I also have free mental health resources that I've I'm trying to change and update as well too. So there's free yep. um, resources there too. Um, and look forward to rolling out some other free like trainings and online health things related to first responders as well, too. Um, you can also find me on YouTube, um, first wellness health coach, um, there and Instagram is Egan first wellness. Um, you can hook up with me there and that's a link to everything else too. So Instagram is the easy way to get a hold of me as well, too. Feel free yeah, to we'll message me. Link. Yeah. Yeah. Message me, reach out. I love to hear um, other people's stories and if there's any questions that I can answer when it comes to this stuff, um, it we all learn together. I learn just as much from everybody else. Like there's not a, not for one second. I think I'm in any expert. I just went through my own journey. I have yep. some things that I've learned and I want to share that. But every time I turn around, I learn something new. Um, just like from you, Matt, just hearing your story and in just hearing your aspect of it, I learn something new all the time and it's, and it's awesome. And that's how well, we that's do that. About. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like in the station, um, when we do trainings, right? So we always learn something at the end of it and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. Or, or it's a reminding session too. And that's what yep. a lot of this is. It's nothing new. Um, a lot of it, um, some of it is, but a lot of it's reminding of like, oh, we need to prioritize our sleep. We need to prioritize, um, you know, stress reduction, embrace 100%. being able to get that balance of your uh, nervous system down um, mm-hmm. and understanding that stuff, too. So, yeah, um, yeah feel free to reach out. Um, and yeah, I w- would love to hear from people. Stay in touch for sure. Uh, just another resource, right? I mean, use me 100%. as a resource if you need me. I'll use you as a resource if you're good with that. And, Absolutely, you know, anybody, man. Anybody out there, same thing. You got two more resources right here. And that's what it's about, the resources, right? Getting to the right people in the right amount of time to get healthy. So, with that being said, I always mention towards the end of the show, 988, if there's anybody out there that is in a crisis or having suicidal thoughts or whatever, reach out to 988. Uh, if, if you can't do that, reach out to one of us, freeburn2023 at gmail.com. Uh, get in touch with us through our social media platforms. We will do what we can do, everything possible, 
that we can do to get you to the right resources. If we don't know, we'll find somebody that knows. So please reach out. Um, with that being said, thank you very much, brother, for coming on. I was super excited about this interview, and it was everything that I thought it was going to be. Uh, I learned a ton today. So good stuff, man. Great. Right. Um, no, thank you, Matt. We'll I learned touch a great base deal. Again. Yeah, we'll touch base again and uh, hopefully have you back on in the future and just check in with you and just see what's going on with you. Uh, if you're good with that. And Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Egan. I appreciate you, brother. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, man. We'll touch base again. Thank you very much. Sounds good. Thank you, folks. See you on the next burn. Thanks for tuning in to the Free Burn 2023 podcast. If you or somebody you know is in crisis, reach out to the Suicide Crisis Lifeline at 988. Or if you're looking for counseling resources, contact us at freeburn2023 at gmail.com. We'll do our best to get you to where you need to be. Let's keep burning that stigma one podcast at a time.